Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning, and welcome to Bible Center Church. I am Pastor Mike. It's good to be with all of you this morning. Uh, this series, we're talking about biblical-based values, and our values better be biblically-based, because what we find is what you believe shapes what you value, which shapes how you behave and how you act. It shapes your habits. It determines who you are. So if our values are being shaped from outside, outside forces and not the Bible, we're in trouble. So we're actually taking the whole year just to be in the Bible. If you even notice on your bulletin on the back at the bottom, there's this desire for you to figure out a reading plan for God's word that works for you. So if you don't if you're not sure where to start or what you should read, we have some ideas for you. They're at the bottom of the bulletin. Uh, there's a Bible recap, which I've been listening to as I've been walking. There's the YouVersion Bible app with some ideas there as well. Uh, but you, if you could pick a way that you would like to be reading the Bible, I would love for you just to sign up and say, hey, I'm doing this too. There's a little QR code. In fact, this morning before I came up here, I realized I hadn't signed up. So I just signed up. I'm reading through Colossians. And when I go on walks and runs, which I like to do, I'm listening to the Bible Recap podcast. So that's kind of my plan. So that's what I wrote down. And I'm going to try to do that almost every day of the week. And I'm in. I would love for you to scan that QR code at some point, even while I'm preaching. I'm totally good with that and say, I'm in. Because when you're in and you give us your name and your email, that'll give us the ability to provide extra resources for you, to support you, to encourage you, and know that you're a part of something bigger. Accountability is always a wonderful thing. So as we talk about biblical values, today, as John had mentioned, the focus is the gospel is central. The gospel is central. As you spend time in God's word, and you just kind of read it from cover to cover, you're just going to notice over and over again, the coming of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the reality of Jesus, just that heartbeat just thumps from cover to cover. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the outworking of the gospel. It's all about the eternal nature of the gospel. So in many ways, last week, John kind of focused on the puzzle piece that is you. When it comes to the gospel, each of us have to make a decision. Sin broke all things, including our relationship with God. Jesus came and died on the cross, and when he did so, he paid the penalty for my consequence and your consequence for your sin and for my sin. And when he rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he now can offer forgiveness and grace to anyone who believes. So each of us are in a position to make a decision, an individual decision to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. If you're here today and you're not sure where you are spiritually, or maybe you know you don't have a relationship with God and you're ready to start that relationship. It's as simple as right now in your seat saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said that you are and you did what you said that you did. Forgive me. I want you to be my savior and my Lord. And this morning, if you want some help talking through that, we'll have prayer partners at the end up here who would love to talk to you, pray with you, and help you make that decision. So there's that personal piece of the puzzle that's, your decision when it comes to Jesus in the gospel. But today we're going to kind of go a little bigger. Like if you have a puzzle, you have to look at the box and see how the whole thing goes together. So today we're not looking at the piece, we're looking at the box, the whole thing, kind of how it goes together. 
So when it comes to our three points today, uh, I'm going to kind of I'm gonna spell them out a little bit, but they'll have like clear, distinct labels for each point. But the first point is the gospel is more than just a me thing. The gospel is more than just a you thing. According to scripture, the gospel is actually a we thing and a whole world thing. So our first point is exploring that reality. The second point is about the fact that the gospel is more than just a point in time thing. Sometimes we think of the gospel as that message I heard in the past, I made a decision and that's the gospel. But when we spend time in God's word, it's not just a past thing, it's also a present thing and it's a forever future thing. So we're gonna look at that. We're also gonna spend a little time in our third point, looking how how the gospel is the central theme and storyline of the whole Bible. Typically, that's an entire seminary class, and we're going to squeeze it into the third point. So that one might feel a little intense, but you have a lot of notes, and you can go back and look at that on your own. But I look forward to that point as well. Uh, But at the end of the day, if you remember this, the gospel is central, and I think we've achieved our goal. If you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start there. We're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to start there. The first point is the gospel is collective and communal. And those might sound like strange words to describe the gospel, but the gospel is collective and communal. The idea here is that the gospel is more than just a me thing. Did Jesus die for me and for you? Yes. But he also died for us. Sometimes our tendency is just to individualize things, especially in America, especially even in the culture we have here is just the rugged individual is like the goal to be that person who's independent of other people. But that's not how the Bible describes us. That's not how the Bible describes the intention and the outworking of the gospel. The gospel is more than a me thing. It's also a we thing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, God gives us this picture of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, not just for me, but for us as a people. So hear it that way. But you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you were individuals, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So catch that. There was a point in time you were not a people. You weren't a part of the people of God. You were just scattered, an individual. But in the work of Jesus, it says now you are a people. That's part of your identity. And it describes what that means at the beginning of the verse. You are a chosen people, not just a chosen person. You're a chosen people. You were pulled out of the world and God made you a part of a people. It says you're a royal priesthood. The priests would serve the people. You are pulled out of the world and set apart to serve. It says you're a holy nation. The word holy also means set apart, but here the idea is you're set apart for God. You're pulled out of the world to serve set apart for God, God's special possession. He uniquely and beautifully loves his people, his church. You are uniquely God's now and forever. 
You are the people of God who have received mercy and grace and love. You are now a part of God's eternal forever plan as being part of God's people. So this is what I want you to catch. It's more than a me thing. It's more than a you thing. It is a we thing. And to miss this is to miss part of your identity in the gospel. Sometimes we spend time talking about how important it is for you to understand your identity in Christ, who you are in Jesus. In Jesus, because of what he did, you are forgiven, you are saved, you are born again, you are a new creation, you've been given the Holy Spirit, and those are all true of your identity in Christ. But here we must also recognize part of your identity is you are now a part of a people. So in the same way you enjoy the benefits of being forgiven and given grace, and that causes you to love God and to thank the Lord for who he is and what he's done, this reality must also impact you. You are a part of a people that God has set apart. So to not be a part of the people and to enjoy that and to live that out is like saying, I don't need his mercy. I don't need his grace. You receive mercy and grace and you're part of a people. It's more than being a me thing. It's a we thing. So what this means for us practically is a couple things. One, it matters for you to be here on Sundays. Like us being together is part of God's desire and God's design. God looks at this and this is beautiful. He sees you, us, as his people. And not only are Sunday mornings helpful, but the idea here is that you are interconnected with other people. So it is crucial for you, for me, to have a group, to have a group of other brothers and sisters in Christ who you live life interconnected with. They know you. They know a little bit about what's going on with you. You know them. There's spiritual conversations. There's care taking place. And here in this church, we try to go out of our way to make it as easy as possible for you to step into group life, to have a group. Out here on the wall, on our app, on our website, folks hopefully around you with their lanyards on would love to help you step into a group. On Sunday mornings, we have groups for families with young kids, families that have no kids, young professionals, college age, middle school, high school, empty nesters. For those of you who have been empty nesters for a long, long time, we have groups for you. We have groups for every stage of life. We have men's groups. We have women's groups. We have groups in homes. If you go out there and look and you're like, Mike, nothing really fits me, then I would love for you to grab a couple friends and say, we would like to start a group. And I would love to help you start a group this week. We want you to be able to have a group because... That's how God designed us. If the gospel is central in our lives, then being with the people of God must be central in our lives. If the gospel is central in the way we live, then our lives must include time with people because we are a people of God. So the gospel is not just a me thing. It's also a we thing. And I would like to suggest it's a whole world thing. It's a whole world thing. Who is this people? Well, it definitely includes the folks here in this church that you're a part of. But the Bible has this even bigger picture of God's church. It's called the universal invisible church. So not only are you a part of the people of God, but everyone in every church in this area who has placed their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, 
You're part of that people too. You're interconnected with them as well. You may not know a name. You may not know a face. You may never meet them, but you are interconnected with them. But it's not just the people in this area. It's the people in every state, in every country. If this is the world and you're located here, if there's someone on this side of the world that knows Jesus, they're a part of your family. They're a part of the people. The people of God, God, the church, is a universal, global church. So when you hear that some of our brothers and sisters are being persecuted somewhere, it should bother you. It's part of your kinfolk. It's part of your people that are being persecuted. When you hear people don't have enough food to survive who know Jesus, it should bother you. You should want to help because they're your people. The Bible just doesn't leave it there. It also goes bigger than just global. It actually says everyone who's ever believed and everyone who ever will believe is also a part of this people. In Hebrews chapter 12, which comes after Hebrews chapter 11, and Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all these folks from the Old Testament who have believed, and God commends their faith. He commends their faith. And then those same people are discussed here in chapter 12, verse 1. They're called a cloud of witnesses. And he says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, so even though he's talking to a church of people in that day and age, he's discussing folks who have died hundreds, thousands of years ago. And he's saying, present tense, right now, they are surrounding you. There are a cloud of witnesses who are around you, and they're encouraging you, and they're challenging you. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, us, together, us, so the universal church is everyone who believes now in the whole world and anyone who ever has believed and anyone who ever will believe. You're a part of a people that is global. You're a part of a people that is, goes from the beginning to the end when God says it's all done. That's your people. That's your family. And you'll be with them forever. 10,000 years from now, that believer on this side of the globe, even though you live on this side of the globe, you're gonna know them by name. We have all eternity to get to know each other as we worship God and live life in the new world. So not only are we interconnected with one another, but we're interconnected with the invisible, eternal church. When you would watch Paul in his missionary journeys, I always thought this was interesting. He would oftentimes tell one church about another church. And then this church would give of their resources. Paul would collect those resources, take them to another church, and bless and take care of another church. That was normal in Paul's missionary journeys. Traveling was not easy. So a church over there oftentimes didn't know the people in the church over there. They didn't know each other. They just knew they were part of the same people. They knew they were family. So if these folks are hurting, these folks would give to this church. So when you hear us talk about stuff like one day asking God to start a network here in our area and in our state so that we might work together with other churches who trust in the gospel and believe in Jesus and believe in the word of God in order to saturate the state with the gospel. It's just a natural thing that churches should be doing. The churches are designed to work together. The universal, invisible church is a real thing. It's an eternal forever thing. The gospel is not just a me thing. It's a we thing. It's a whole world thing. And we're designed to work together 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 when we're all following the Lord 
in doing what he's called us to do. So the gospel's a me thing. It's a we thing and a whole world thing. Second point, the gospel is cosmic and ceaseless. The gospel is cosmic and ceaseless. What that means is the gospel is more than just a moment in time when I believed. The gospel also impacts my today and the gospel impacts my forever. Things in the past impact our present and our future. That absolutely includes the gospel. In my past, I talked my family into going on a camping trip. My son was about this tall. My daughter was about this tall. She was in diapers. He was being potty trained. My wife thought it was a bad idea. I talked him into going. So we went and bought a tent. We bought some things to make dinner. I took them to the campsite. I burned all of dinner. I don't even know how I did it, but like it was unedible, inedible. So we ended up splitting a bag of chips for dinner. We had set up the tent already beside this large tree. Our campsite was not very big. When we then went to the tent to sleep at night, I realized that putting up a tent when you only have sleeping bags beside a big tree means you're sleeping on big roots. So that didn't feel great. My wife was not super pleased. It was scolding hot, and I also don't know how we missed this. But you know those lights out in the parking lot that like just like light up the whole parking lot or light up the highway? We put our tent under one of those. So it was super hot, sleeping on roots, like under like a spotlight all night long while my son was just running in circles and you couldn't correct him because it was miserable. So that was the evening. We wake up the next day and we're like, well, let's do some camp activities. Like let's look at all the activities available to us. Um, there was a pool that had like bees everywhere. So that didn't work. There was like a jumpy thing that you really couldn't jump on. So that didn't work. So we went to the miniature golf course, me and Luke. Again, he's learning how to being potty trained. So we go out there and I'm pretty sure this miniature golf course, like after they built it, no one had ever looked at it again, ever. No one had ever kept it up, ever. And it was like this. It was about as far from here to there and it was a straight line. That was the golf course, it was super creative. So we spent time out there. And after about the sixth or seventh hole, as a mom or dad, you remember this, your child looks at you and they go, I think I gotta go. So here we are, four holes in, five holes in, and our campsite is way far away. That's where the little plastic toilet is. And the campground bathrooms aren't too far away, but there's no way that little guy's gonna make it from there to there without it going everywhere. So I pick him up like a log and I just start running through the campground, trying to get him to the campground bathrooms as quickly as possible. Turn him vertical, sit him down, I say, go for it. He looks at me and goes, dad, I don't have to go anymore. I'm like, are you serious? He goes, I don't have to go at all. So we walk back. So just so you know, when you run with a child sideways, whatever wants to come out kind of goes back up in. So you're running like that and you set him down and he doesn't have to go anymore. So we walk back one whole layer, dad, I gotta go again. So we go through one hole and I'm that guy running through the campground, holding onto my son like this. That happens three times before it works. So we get to the end, this is a long illustration, sorry. We get to the end of the camping trip and we had closed up the tent and we packed it into the car my wife and I are sitting in the car, and I go, so do you have the keys? She goes, no, you have the keys. And I go, I don't have the keys. All of a sudden, panic. We spend two hours now. We, we're hungry. It has not been a good day. We have not slept at all. And we spend time just digging around on the ground trying to find the keys in the grass forever. She finally looks at me and says, is it possible you rolled it up into the tent? Not only is it possible, that's exactly what I did. That's highly likely. So I unrolled the tent find the keys, roll the tent back up, which took forever, put it in, put it in the car, and we sat in the car. 
My wife and I took a big, deep breath, looked at each other and said, we're never doing it again. We're never going camping again. So that's something that happened in our past. But presently, we will never go camping again. And when we look into the future, we will never go camping again in the future. Like that little thing in the past, which isn't a big deal, has affected everything about our life. Now the gospel, in a much more important way, transitioning that back. So the gospel, in a much more important way, the moment when we received Christ, it wasn't the finish line. It wasn't over. When we receive Christ, it's actually the starting line to this incredible journey that God provides for us that impacts us in the present and the future. In Philippians 1.6, it says this, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you, the good work is saving you, the gospel, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's faithfully working in us until the day of Christ Jesus. So just in this one verse, and I had to pick one, that we could have gone to 10 different verses. The gospel saves us in the past. He works in us in the present until he comes back and it's all done and we're with him forever. There's a past element there's a present element, and there's a future element to the gospel. So it's not just a back then thing. It's a then thing. It's a now thing. It's a forever thing. The big picture of the gospel. When we talked last week, John mentioned how sin broke everything. The Bible's very clear, broke everything. My relationship with God, my relationships with others, and the world itself is broken So when it comes to this forever part of the gospel, it includes God's plan for creation itself. He'll save you, he's going to save us, and he's going to save his world. In Revelation 1, 21.1, it says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, From God, he sends it down, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And it sits on the new earth. So heaven and earth are no longer separated. There's no veil between the spiritual and the physical. God makes all things new and puts heaven and earth together. And his creation is renewed and restored just the way he intends. And then we then go to be with him forever. So there's this forever aspect of the gospel, like our hope is in that moment. How do I get through today's hardship? It's because one day the new heaven and the new earth come together and God says, you're mine and you're gonna live with me forever. So the forever, the eternal part of the gospel changes you in your today. So it's important to remember The gospel affects our past, it impacts our present, and it gives us hope for the future when God restores all things. So when we say the gospel is central, our first point was it's not just a me thing, it's a we thing, it's a whole world thing. When we say the gospel is central, it's not just a something in the past thing, it's a, it affects me now, it'll affect my forever. Also, when it comes to the gospel being central, it's not just a New Testament thing. The gospel is in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, and it's a central component of our forever. It's central in all those things. So when it comes to the New Testament, and again, this is, I'm going to go through this very quickly, but in your notes, if you'd like to go deeper into this part, I have verses in there that you could spend some time this afternoon or this week reading through just to see this. And I think this is a beautiful thing. And maybe one day we double click and just do a whole sermon on this topic. 
But in the Old Testament, the gospel, the coming of Jesus, the work of Jesus is absolutely central. We first see it in the promises that God makes, the promises that God makes. In Genesis chapter three, verse 15, sin has just broken everything. And God starts divvying out some punishments to the serpent, to the woman, and to the man. And when he talks to Eve, he says, there's punishment, but then there's a promise kind of snuck in. And this is the beginning of the gospel message. They just sin. And God said, I'm not done with you. I have a plan. Here's my promise. And his promise is that through your seed, through your descendants, one is coming who will crush the head of Satan. It looks like Satan won. But within moments, God says, he's not going to win this thing. Through you, Eve, and through one of your descendants, which is pointing to Jesus, Galatians tells us that, Jesus is going to crush the power of the enemy. A little bit farther in Genesis chapter 12, God pulls Abraham out and says, through you, Abraham, I'm going to make a people. But through your descendants, through this people, I will bless all nations. And the Bible tells us, it's very clear, this blessing of all nations is that Jesus is coming through Abraham and his descendants. So this whole story of Israel, like in the background of the good kings and the bad kings and the judges and the prophets, the background is this, Jesus is coming. God promised it. The whole world needs this to happen. God's whole point was never just Israel. The point was Israel so that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and all nations would be blessed. God was always thinking whole world mentality. He always has the whole puzzle, the whole box. He can see all of it. Israel's a piece, but it's not the whole piece. It's through Israel God makes the promise that Jesus will come and all things will be changed. We have positions and people in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings. And when we study the book of Hebrews, we learn that each of those are pointing to Jesus. They're pictures of what Jesus will be like. He will be our ultimate prophet. He'll be the one who speaks for God to God's people. He is the ultimate prophet. Jesus is ultimately the ultimate priest who speaks for and intercedes for the people to God in his own sacrifice, in his prayers, in everything Jesus did. He is our high priest and he is king. He rules over all. He right now is sitting on a throne. So positions, prophet, priest, and king point to Jesus. And this next section is so fun. We could talk about this forever pictures from the Old Testament of the coming of Jesus and the work of Jesus, even when Adam and Eve sinned and they're like, we're naked. And they're hiding in the bushes and they do this whole fig leaf thing. In the garden, God takes an animal and sacrifices the animal, takes the skin of the animal and clothes Adam and Eve. Even in that moment of shame, right after sin, God says, I'm going to provide for you. It's going to be through a death but I'm gonna provide for you. And in that moment, we get a picture of God's faithfulness. Even in the moment of greatest despair, God's like, I've got you. There's a plan in motion. The ark, in the ark, we see that God can save a group of people. Even when the whole world just gives up on God and goes the opposite direction, he's like, no, I can save my people. There'll always be a remnant. I will always take care of my people. In the Exodus, we see God pulling his people out of slavery and redeeming them from the Egyptians and giving them their own land. We also see the Passover. And the Passover is this concept where a lamb dies, the blood is placed on the doorframe, 
And those folks don't have to pay any consequences for their sin. The angel of death passes over and they are saved under the bloodshed of the lamb. Is that not a picture of Jesus? So there's picture after picture after picture throughout the Old Testament of who Jesus is and what he will be like. Prophecies. Throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies of where Jesus will come from, what he will be like, what he will do, interactions he will have, how he will die. Pastor Ted talked about some of these several weeks ago. The prophecies are amazing to study. It just all continues to point towards him. Even the Psalms. You might think, well, the Psalms are just a lot of poetry and a lot of singing. They are. But oftentimes, Psalm 2, Psalm 22 points to Jesus. Jesus even quotes these Psalms at times, even when he's on the cross, like he's, they're about him. And the Psalms continue to sing about that God intends to have the whole world praise him. May his face shine on us that the world will know who you are. The Psalms point to Jesus, God's redemptive plan and his worldwide intention and purpose for the gospel. So in the Old Testament, the the thumping in the background, the heartbeat of the Old Testament is Jesus' coming. The promise of the gospel will take place. And when you get to the New Testament in the gospels, we see his life played out, his death and his resurrection. But then when you see Paul, Paul, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna touch on this, but Paul talks about his purpose for preaching in 1 Corinthians, his purpose for preaching. And he sums it up into just a couple words. He says, I didn't come to be winsome, I didn't come to win you over by like saying things in a way that's creative and that's not his purpose. He said, I came to you with trembling and with fear. And in 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolish. But at the end of the day, we preach this, Christ crucified. The other stuff might fall away, but we're not gonna miss this, Christ crucified. It's the central point and part of Paul's message, the things that he preaches, the things he brings to a new city and to disciple young churches. When Paul talks about his life and his ministry, in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, it says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So his ministry includes proclaiming the gospel and teaching those who believe until all of them all of us look more like Jesus. And then in verse 29, he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So all the energy I have, all the energy Christ gives me, all that is used to live out and to do and to have this ministry of the gospel, sharing the gospel, teaching the gospel so that people may look more like Jesus until they're transformed to look like him until God restores all things. His energy goes towards that. He strenuously contends for that. So we see the gospel being worked out in the Old Testament. We see it being central in the New Testament, but also continues throughout all of eternity being the central thing. Back to Revelation 21, it says in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, that is his people, that royal priesthood, that chosen nation, that special possession of God. It's, he will now dwell among them. 
and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the eternal forever picture. This we, this us, this people that God has saved for himself, his special possession is so that he might be with them forever. So it's more than just about me or just you, or it's more than just about this moment. There's a day when we are all together as God's people and he dwells with us, among us. In Revelation 5, it says, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were singing, Worthy is the Lamb. That's Jesus. Worthy is Jesus who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. So all the heavenly beings, when it comes to the forever, they recognize what Christ has done on the cross, the way he died on the cross, the lamb who was slain, how he rose from the dead, and the response is to you, Jesus, be power, glory, strength, and majesty forever. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, that includes you, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, like everything in all of creation, this creation that God has made new, this creation that he didn't give up on, even though sin broke it, God restored it, God's gonna renew it. And in that day, all of it sings and says to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. It all leads to this. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he raise from the dead? It's more about me. It's less about me. It's less about just you. It's about us and God's forever eternal plan. It leads to this moment in heaven where we get to be a part of this. It's always been about this. It always will be about Jesus and the gospel. The gospel is the central message of the whole Bible and of all eternity. The gospel is the central message of the whole Bible and of all eternity. And if the gospel is central, then it must impact the way we live. Our response to the gospel is to share and live out the gospel. Your response to the mercy that you've been given, the grace you've been given, the love you've been shown, and the people you're now a part of is to live out this gospel. And one of the key ways for us to do that is that we live it out with one another. We live it out in our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationships with one another. The takeaway today is I want you to have a group. I want you to be interconnected with people that know you, care about you, and love you, people that you also love and care about. In the gospel, you've received mercy and grace you don't deserve. So in your relationships with other people, you give mercy and grace that they don't deserve. You've been forgiven when you shouldn't have been forgiven. So if somebody wrongs you, you forgive, even though you may feel like they don't deserve to be forgiven. So today, at the wall, on our website, find somebody with a lanyard. I would love for you to start getting more connected to the people in your life. If the gospel is central, then that means the people of God must be central in our life. If you would, pray with me, and then we're going to get ready for baptism. Father, you're good and gracious. Jesus, you are the center of all things. And we end this entire life worshiping and praising you for all that you've done. 
your death on the cross, raising from the dead and offering salvation to those who don't deserve it. So we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.